Yeah. Welcome to All Things Fresh, the podcast. I'm your host, Alvin Locks. Let's get it started. You are in for a very special treat, Fresh Fam. This episode marks a new chapter for the podcast. We finally graduated from single digit to double digit numbers, episode 10. I'm proud of the success this show has seen so far, but far from satisfied. My next guest goes by the name of Katie Cheadle. She is a mindfulness-based psychotherapist and performance coach. On this episode, we discuss all things meditation, self-love, boundaries, and more. With everything going on in 2020, mental health has become a very hot topic. I'm positive that anyone listening to this episode will gain value. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. My name is Alvin Locks, host and producer of All Things Fresh, the podcast. The word fresh can be defined as not previously known or used, new or different. Keeping that in mind, I set out to discover all things fresh through real conversations with cool people. To my returning, Faithful, fresh fam, welcome back. I can't wait to share Katie's episode with you. Let's jump right in. So I first wanted to thank you. Like seriously, mm. you you saying yes was probably one of my favorite agreements that I received from any of my oh, past guests. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. And, and yeah, the, the reasoning no there, it's it's worth mentioning. The reasoning there is just because the the work you do is something that I'm very excited about right now at this phase in my life so i'm mm-hmm. I'm hoping to learn a great deal from you and then mm-hmm. in turn turn that around and offer it to anyone that listens to the podcast yeah awesome thank you so much for saying that yeah i'm, I'm excited to do this cool so let's let's jump right in um i i value your time and i, I don't want to delay if we could start at uh, a an introduction for you if you can just tell the folks who are listening who you are a little background of 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 your upbringing and and what you currently do today. All right, yeah. Um, so I am Katie Cheadle. I'm a mindfulness-based psychotherapist and performance coach. I live in beautiful Long Beach. I, out of college, I had this, um, I had this vision that I wanted to be a sports psychologist, but I actually ended up accepting the first job I interviewed for, which was to be an HR manager. And I climbed up the corporate ladder doing human resources and um, eventually um, coaching executives on how to lead and manage and inspire teams. Um, And it wasn't until I kind of, you know, it's so funny in life how we have these moments where um, these unplanned moments that end up propelling us into our purpose or into a space that we weren't expecting. So I ended up moving down to Los Angeles from the Bay Area. I had been with Macy's at the time for like six years. And um, I ended up coming down here and I got like a job in sales and I hated it. And I was like, I'm going to grad school to do what I wanted to do when I was younger, which was be a a sports psychologist. But that's actually in my adult life. I didn't want to be a sports psychologist anymore. I wanted to be a therapist and be able to support people um, in the, you know, in the work that they do and having healthier, more fulfilling relationships. And so I went and got my master's and um, I did some work in schools, did some work in clinics. And now I run my own private practice, um, which I get to work with individuals, couples, adolescents. And I do consulting for Um, businesses and sports teams, really teaching them how to bring mindfulness um, and and an awareness to mental health to these like high performance spaces. And that's, that's what gets me really excited. I love it. And you basically set the most amazing framework that I could ask for, for this conversation, (laughs) because you touched upon pretty much everything I've already taken notes about prior to our call. Awesome. And I just wanted to chime in and say your Bay to LA corporate ladder sales unplanned moments leading to finding your purpose and to where you're at right now. I I, I really identify with that. Mm. So I am originally from the Bay Area. Um, okay. Our stories obviously are different when it comes to the details, but I went down to Southern California and it landed me in sales. And it's, I was with retail banking for like 10 years. And while I took away so much from it, and I'm thankful for that experience, it's definitely, it wasn't the, the, 
the ultimate calling for me, if you will. Right, right. But now you make me want to learn more about really what happened in there. But I went to your website, and that's where I pretty much did my lurking and creeping. Um, and <laughs> and your, uh, your About Me page really offered a lot for me to to spark my curiosity. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping we can actually rewind back because one thing you said in that really uh, sparked my curiosity was how your home environment supported self-development. Mm. So I want to know if you can bring me back to that point in your life and tell me what did that really look like? What did those conversations sound like? Who were the key players and the support you had for self-development? Uh, you talked about how you were encouraged to, to explore and read and learn new things. Yeah. And I think that's an important place to start because it helps under, helps me understand the story that we're eventually going to kind of go down into. Yeah, I um, I grew up and softball was life. Like it was almost like more important than my schoolwork. It was like a sports sports culture in my family was like really important. And it was all about getting a scholarship and being the best softball player and um you know, it's so interesting because I don't have a relationship with my father today, but he was so instrumental growing up in um, letting me know there was more to the sport than the physical. Like at some point, everyone can hit the ball far and make big plays. And, you know, and th that goes across the board in any field and in any sport, right? At some point, like everyone, at, you know, it's pretty damn good. And it's like what separates the greats from the average or even the good is that mentality, that mindset. And so my dad got my hands on a book called Psycho Cybernetics. I still own the copy he gave me in sixth grade today, wow. Wow. Um, which was basically talking about how we are wired like machines essentially and how if we um how we like care for ourselves and how we train our minds can impact how we show up and then i became obsessed with mindfulness and i always had this interest um in buddhist psychology and this is like as a as a high school student i was like right. this is what i would read in my spare time i would like get good enough grades so that you know like i i could go to school and I practice yeah. softball, but this is what I like. I wanted my hands on everything I could read when it came into this realm. Um, and so my parents really, they really supported that and they believed it and they didn't think that. Um, and even today there's still a stigma around like mental health and sports psychology and stuff. But my parents, you know, they really supported me in reading all about it and they believed that it made a difference and they thought it was awesome and they would talk to me about it. And, um, yeah, so I, I was, I've just been into personal development and growth and spirituality and psychology for a very long time. Wow. Um, and yeah, and, and uh, going back to your question, my parents supported that. They didn't tell me that I should ignore that or that's silly or it's not that big of a deal. Um, they were like, what else do you want, Katie? Like what, what other book can we get you or, yeah. you know, and so that was really cool. So you brought up, you became obsessed if i could yeah. use that word with the whole yes. mindfulness piece as a high schooler and yes. so that, that makes me think back to that time because you said it you said it best there's a stigma even today around yes. mental health so i'm curious how was that received by close friends you know uh, school peers when they were made aware that this was something you were into was it something you kept to yourself did people look at you like this this girl's a little weird you know because i can imagine back then especially versus now I feel like the the world society has warmed up to the idea of mental health, especially with everything going on, right? Which is one of the reasons why I gravitated towards asking you. But now I want to understand if you were to backtrack to back then, how was that received? How how did people react to you? How how were the responses about it? If you tried sharing your passion about it, yeah, only my closest teammates knew that I was into this, and I think that like. Um, and even today as a therapist, I think it's, you can make it as palatable as you even want. So it's like, if you talk to a teammate about it, it's like, yeah, I'm really into like visualizing and like saying these affirmations and like, that's like, oh yeah, like that. But if, if you were to, you know, tell a teammate like, oh, I'm into meditating or going into the seat of awareness and witnessing my thoughts, emotions, and limiting beliefs it's, that's very different. They're like, whoa, what Katie? Like what, right. what is this? And it's so interesting. A couple, um, gosh, like a year ago, 
or maybe it was even this past fall. Anyways, I read Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And since then, I've read it three additional times. That book just blows my mind. But I, it's so interesting because it took me back to, I remember being in high school and I, I had, I was doing that. Like I was able to know like all these thoughts that came into my mind about maybe not being good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, good at like, I wasn't going to do well in softball that day. Or what if I strike out? What if I don't get a scholarship? Like all these thoughts. And I remember like witnessing them and being like, oh my gosh, that's BS. Like release that, come back to the present moment. And I, I, that the book that I read now as a 34 year old is like, was all about that. And I'm like, wow, like these ideas I was like playing with when I was, you know, 16 or 17, which right. is wild. Right. Um, and I think that if we can start to teach, um, adolescents, teenagers, young adults, the power of mindfulness and meditation and the ability to do that, gosh, such like a more fulfilling way of being and their thoughts don't, because our thoughts are not facts. And I think sometimes we just, we latch on to them like it's fact and, and then it impacts, it impacts our day and the way we show up, right? And the interactions you have with others, especially those yes. close to you. Totally. And, and I think that's where it can be dangerous, you know, or damaging in that regard. Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Great. So I want to skip forward just a little bit because I feel like something happened you touched up on it, but I feel like there's a little more detail and context you could offer. You talked about attending University of Georgia, experiencing yeah. a major injury, transferring to Cal Berkeley, and then it feels like from there you discovered a little more or perhaps you know realized a little more. Can you kind of walk us through yeah. that phase of your life and what that meant to you? Yeah, your, your intuition is spot on. Um, so going to Georgia, I'm still wired as like softball is life, right? Like that is like wired that way. Um, I was a freshman. There was a lot of hype around, you know, me being a starting shortstop there. And I was one of the top recruits. And in my our very first practice, um, I broke my leg. My, my, my teammate actually in a scrimmage, she was stealing second base. I was covering um, and she jump slid into my shin, oh my cracked gosh. it, tibia broken. And there was like a lot of debate with the doctors and my parents and the coaches and like, do I redshirt? Do I have a surgery and come back and play my freshman year? Like there's all this, you know, all this discussion around it. I ended up having a surgery where they put a metal rod in my shin um, and some screws in my knee and some screws in my ankle. And um, I rehabbed way too quickly and I got back on the field way Mm. too fast Um, and I wasn't the same player as far as like speed and strength go. Um, and you know, just things feel different. Like throwing felt different. My swing felt different. So it was this whole, um, God coming back from an injury is so humbling. Um, and it gives you such perspective, but anyways, I, I started like realizing, especially during that rehab process where I'm like, you know, going to, going to the stadium every day and, and not getting to play with my teammates, but having to go into the training room and just like work on my comeback. Um, I was like, wow, like if I don't have softball, who, who am I? Like, what, what is my value? Who am I? Like, it was just such, um, an awakening for me during that time. And then Um, I got through my freshman year and I went into my sophomore year and my coach had a conversation with me um, that she wanted me to be a catcher because I was a leader. I still had a strong arm, but the range at shortstop was not a thing. And I wasn't, I just, it just was different. And so I tried to catch, but based on the the surgery, my knee would swell up and I was in a Mm. lot of pain. And so I ended up transferring to Cal where I played third base my sophomore, junior, senior year. And my relationship with the sport, once I transferred to Berkeley, it was just so different. It was softball became something that I did and I was good at and I loved playing and I liked my teammates and I wanted to win. I was competitive, all that, but it wasn't Katie. any like it, it was, I was separate. Like I was this woman who was, you know, trying to get good grades and thinking about the future. And I realized that there was like so many other parts to me. Um, But yeah, I didn't realize that till I was, you know, 19 or 20 years old. My identity was so caught up in the sport, truly. I'm curious when 
you were going through the injury and then trying to get back and, and be back to your normal self you know, or better, did your attitude towards life or your outlook or your perspective, did it, you know, was it, did it change? Did it, you know, were you, did you find yourself feeling a little more negative than normal? Or did you keep a, a positive mindfulness approach to it? How, how was your relationship with all that then? Yeah, I was sad. <laughs> I was just sad. Um, I used to, I had this whiteboard in my uh, dorm my freshman mm. year and like, I would wake up like an hour before, if we had weights at six, I'd wake up at five and I would like do these affirmations and I would like say, you're going to be an all American. You're going to like, I just was like embracing, like you get straight A's, you're going to, you know, you're going to be the first female sports psychologist to do whatever. Like I created like all these things and I had this whole routine and um, I, when I, when I had that injury, I stopped doing that for a while because I felt, yeah, I was bummed. Like, I felt like, man, like, what is all this for? Like I, I worked so hard. And, um, I think there was a period of time where I kind of felt sorry for myself. And then sure. I was able to kind of come out of that. And I remember I like made these voice recordings of, you know, like, that I could listen to myself, you know, visualize at night and that I was going to come back and I was, you know, going to play shortstop and I was going to, you know, be on the freshman all SEC team and like all these things. Um, and so I was able to kind of find my groove again, but it was different. My fire was definitely, it was different. Um, and so I have such compassion and like interest in supporting athletes during injuries because it's really a beautiful um, opportunity for you to enhance your mental game if you can kind of keep it in perspective because we don't really get much time to be off of the field and be able to to dive into the mental game in that way because you're always working on you know getting faster stronger your form your technique and so when you're injured you can't do all that so it's like what a beautiful time to visualize and meditate and tap into affirmations and mantras and all of that right and the way you explain that it makes me wonder how that's trying or how folks are trying to incorporate that now or if, if that's even something that's happening because right. it makes it seem like you have to hit pause because of an injury mm. before you can step into that mindset mm. and, and it's almost like okay so you need to get injured to have that opportunity not to say that that's the reality but it right. makes me you know it does make me question it in that way right you know that's i think alvin like that's the thing right like that's um I, I was running a woman's group through this quarantine thing. And I, I sh it's so many times in our life, we talked about this because so many times in our life, we have to hit rock bottom or get injured to then tune in to like our own experience and like connect to spirituality or look in our mindset or start practicing mindfulness. And it's like, no, how can I go into that space? Even when things are good, like why, why do I have to be so sad to be like, Katie, get back to, whatever practices it is, or why do I have to lose something to then start, you know, diving into self-care? You know, it's, that's, I think what you just tapped on is like everyone's inner work. It's like, how can we do this when things are good? Because I think when we just ride the momentum wave sometimes, right? Right. You, you, I wasn't looking for that answer, but you hit the nail on the head. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly how I would have wanted you to explain that. And that makes me think of why isn't it viewed as a preventative medicine type of approach? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's, you know, with a lot of my clients who struggle with anxiety, that is what we talk about because it's like, they'll have a panic attack or an anxiety attack, right? And they're like, oh, Katie, I did the five, four, three, two, one grounding exercise you gave me, or I did my deep breathing and it was so helpful. Why do we have to have a panic attack or an anxiety attack to do that? Like, why don't we wake up every morning and take 10 deep belly breaths? Why don't we do a body scan every night before we go to bed? But sometimes when we're good, it's like, oh, I'll scroll on Instagram or be on Snapchat instead of, instead of like doing a meditation or a breathing exercise. So what you just said is so, it's, it's just so perfect. It's like, this is preventative. It should not be reactive, right? 100% agree. Yeah. Which allows us to continue. So you're at Cal Berkeley, and I feel yes. like between Cal Berkeley and this next phase that I wanna discuss, which I felt you said it so perfect, was you realized your deep passion of helping others. Mm. Where does that 
land in line with your story at Cal Berkeley? Is it at that time? Is it shortly after? And tell us more about realizing your deep passion. Yeah, it was shortly after. It was right after. So I, um, I, there was a softball league, the Albany Girls Softball League, and I interviewed to be a director of softball operations for them. So I would like teach coaches how to coach, run clinics for the youth athletes, um, teach umpires how to, to do their job. It was just kind of like overseeing all things softball. And in that time, I was like, wow, like parents need so much support with engaging with their child and they don't know how hard to push or to, you know, where to like loosen up and where to, you know, they have all these questions about how they can support their children. Children, like they want to be so hardcore about the sport, but they're also like, I want to hang out with my friends too and have a life. So like, I was like listening to these challenges of like, what is the balance? Um, and I was like, I, and then shortly after that, so I did, I was doing that and I kind of got my wheels turning about like, I love supporting people and helping people. And then I got that HR job and in human resources, that is what you do is you, you support them with, you know, having tough conversations, making the work environment better, um, what they need to do to make more money if they want to raise, like what, what job is a better fit for them? Like what, what do they like about their current job? It, it was just it was like, so in my wheelhouse. Um, and yeah, I, I just was like, this is, this is the space I want to be in. Like, I really like supporting others. I'd like to pause there for a moment. Cause I don't think this is a question I'd be able to ask anyone or have been able to ask anyone, because if I were to turn to a person in HR for a current company I'm working with, I don't think they could be as candid as you can be now. So yep. what challenges did you face when you're trying to serve those people coming to you needing help, especially if Beautiful. it's so confidential and and like, wow, this is a really like touchy subject on top of still having to protect the best interests of the company. What was that relationship like for you? That's, I mean, you just said it and that's why I'm not in HR today, right? So I, I realized like, oh, so with HR, I'm still the face of the company, right? right. So I, I can support people to a point, but I have my own agenda as a therapist, I have no agenda. Like it's your path and your life. And I just want to help you find the most fulfilling, satisfying, happiest way of being. Right. right. So it's like such a, such a different mindset than wearing mm. the company hat. And so I think that was, right. um, I think I was good at that, but it was inauthentic or ingenuine because yes. these people are so comfortable talking to Katie and coming to Katie. But then I have this other agenda. Cause I'm like, okay, so I know the VP actually doesn't even want this person to work here. So how can I support this person in wanting to like exit and go? So I, I had a, I had an alternative agenda all the time, right? Right. So it felt it, more salesy. And it, it just, I, I feel conflicted as I hear you explain that. Mm. You know what I mean? What's coming up for you? It, it just feels, I, I'm putting myself in the person's shoes who's coming to you fully vulnerable and then knowing that in the back of you, and then I and then I transition into your shoes, and you're like, dude, I have to say something, but also I know that what you're going through is so unfair, and mm. and it's just a tough situation. It, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like something I could ever imagine sustaining for a long period of time. Right, right. And, and I think that's, that, and that's so no knock. Sorry, that's no knock on people who do the job and love the no. job. Power to you. This is definitely not me trying to shame you. I just feel right. like it's so challenging. It sounds so challenging. Right. Well, and companies need human resources. So it's Correct. like, it needs to be there. But I think that's also why so many employees aren't vulnerable and honest to HR because they know that, okay, yeah, this is like supposed to be our person, but at the end of the day, it's really the company's person. Right. So yep. it's, it's, um, gosh, it's a challenging role. It's like, it's such a balancing act, which I, you know, it weighed on me eventually, which is why I, um, ended up transitioning out, but yeah. Right. And I, and I realized so many parts of it are like being a therapist, like mm. the listening and being like able, you want to make people feel warm and comfortable and all of that. Um, but I didn't like having the, the agenda and therapy is so beautiful because right. it's like, no, I'm here to serve. And like, what do you want and how can I help you get there? Amazing. I think you see where we're going with this. We're kind of setting a stage here so then we can really dive into the true body of work that you're into today. Right. 
And so you said something in your about me. I'm, I'm still going back to that. You talked about <laughs> you talked about the parallel between competitive sports and the corporate landscape. And man, that was something that I am so happy I read. Mm. You talked about how it's the same pressure, the same stress, and the same deep desire to win. Mm. But before we go into that, I feel like that ties into what we just talked about, how you're limited on on one side of that when it comes to the corporate piece, because you, you want to serve yourself, but you're still representing the company. So can you talk about that parallel and, and, and why that was something you felt was important in your story? Yeah, well, I think what I noticed was like, when I started doing executive coaching, I was like, this is no different than sports because all these all these execs, these VPs, these directors, they are under so much pressure to drive sales, to make more money, just like athletes are to get results, to make big plays, to win games. It's like, there's no different. And it's like, they put in the hours and the work and the strategy. And it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are wired for high performance. There's a lot of pressure. They're not taking care of themselves. It's just like, but it's just, it's just different. It's, but it's like, it's just different in the way that it manifests, but it's the exact same thing from a performance perspective. It's dealing with anxiety, dealing with pressure, having to produce results, and then having this question of like, who am I outside of the sport? Who am I outside of my profession? Like, it's just, I was just being mirrored in that role that like, this is no different than what I've seen on college campuses, what I experienced as an athlete. Um, it's really no different. It's, yeah. it's just no different. Wow. I love that. Okay. And now I feel like we're leading into the, the real meat and potatoes of what I wanted to start talking about. And one, right. of the, one of the things on your website is you talk about finding your flow. Mm. And you put a quote mm-hmm. there that said, on the other side of resistance is flow. And right. flow is flow is something that I'm actually trying to understand more about. I, and I feel like, because I, yeah, I listen to podcasts and, and, and different things like that and read about it and it talks about when you find your flow and they try to describe mm. the feeling of what that is. You're locked in, you're focused, you're engaged, time passes so quickly, no distractions, so on and so forth. But now I'm curious from your perspective, why that's something it seems that you lead in with and, and, and what mm. it means to you. Before we hear what Katie has to say about flow, I'd like to take a brief moment to thank you for tuning into the podcast. If you're enjoying this episode and if you end up taking any value from it, would you be so kind to do me a huge favor? If you're listening on Spotify, please hit the follow button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please hit the subscribe button. Lastly, if you're already a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world if you could take a minute of your time to leave a five-star review. Doing so would greatly impact the chances of other listeners discovering the podcast. Thank you, Fresh Fam. Let's get back to the show. I believe that in life, we can take a path of less resistance. And I think we work way too hard and create way too many obstacles for ourselves and create way too many problems that might not actually even exist. And so I, I think I lead with that. And that's my, you know, that's like my headline because that is, that is my goal with all my clients that they can find a way of being that has ease and a sense of like settling into their body and just a different way of being. I understand from a performance, uh, from a performance perspective, flow means, you know, being everything you just described, like, you know, space and time doesn't exist. It's like, you're that perfect blend of like being challenged, but knowing you can crush it. It's like all of that. But I also think just like in day-to-day activities, it's like, no, just going, surrendering and just going with the flow and, um, being present and acknowledging things as they come. Um, And yeah, I think that that resonates with many of my clients because we want to believe there's a different way of being. And in Buddhist psychology, you know, they talk about clinging and resisting, right? And so um, we can't be in flow when we're doing either of those two things. So if um, if I really want to... I don't know. I'm like working minimum wage as like, you know, in, in, in an associate position and I want to become a manager and I am clinging to this idea of like, I have to be a manager by, you know, January 1st. I have to be a manager. 
other opportunities are presenting themselves. And I'm like, nope, I have to be a manager. I am resisting what is, right? Or I'm, I'm clinging to this idea and resisting all these other opportunities. When we're in flow, it's like, oh, I'm noticing that I'm really clinging to that idea. And I, I have this feeling coming up for me where I like want to say no to these other opportunities, but okay, let me like lean, let me, let me ease into this. Let me hear what these other opportunities are. And if that feels aligned, let me, maybe I don't have to be a manager for this company. Maybe there's something better in store for me and really trusting the intelligence of the universe and leaning into flow versus, nope, it has to be this way. And we get so set in our plan and our agenda. Um, and that's, that's the opposite of what, what flow is. Right. And I'm glad you went there because I feel like the crush it world is really clinging on to that definition of flow. Yes. And I feel like your idea of flow is not something that's getting enough credit or attention mm, yeah. in, the, in, the, in the mainstream light. So it's not to say right. that it's not important. It's not that people are working on. And, and you talked about that plan, holding on to that preconceived notion of what that goal needs to be or that outcome. Mm. But then that reminds me back of when you were telling your story and said it's those unplanned moments. Yes. And being open to those. Right. right. And I think it, when it comes to high performance, we have to have goals. We have to have a plan. Um, we can't just like, we, we can't just kind of waver through the world, but we have to be open to the way things actually unfold and be conscious and awake enough to receive. And to, I think sometimes we're blind and we're just like robots and we're like, nope, I'm going here. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're missing so many signs and opportunities and just, there's just a more gentle way of being. Um, and I, I'm hoping that people can open their mind to that. And, you know, one, um, you know, on Oprah's Super Soul podcast, she has an episode called Own Your Truth. And I think the way she describes flow is so beautiful. She gives like a 20 minute talk and it's just so beautiful. But, you know, she's, she talks about how life, you can feel when energy is kind of just carrying you through. And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to go here and this feels good and whatever. And when something doesn't go to plan and it's wrong, it, she's like, those are just signs basically saying like, wrong way, like don't cut. And so if we're clinging and resisting, it's like, oop, wrong way. Let me just ease back in to the flow of my life. And that we're going to hit obstacles and bumps and things won't feel good. And that's just an, an opportunity for awakening where it's like, okay, let me ease back into the path of least resistance, which I love. Right. And that reminds me of a couple different examples. It's it's like the individual who, who thinks they need to chase that one dream yes. uh, of their career or what they, they think or thought their life purpose was. And then when they're finally fed up after hitting all those roadblocks, he or she finally says, you know what, I'm just going to focus on me Right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to put down the, the paintbrush. I'm going to put down the microphone. And right. typically what happens in that next chapter is an idea of just going with the flow. Right. And right. the, second, the se right. second example of that is, and I, I'm hoping you can elaborate on this after I, I share this, is it's the folks that are looking for their perfect girlfriend, their perfect wife, their soulmate, and they're right. trying so hard. And they're leaning into these dating apps and they're swiping, swiping, swiping. And if you're listening to this and you do that, this is not me knocking you. I'm just saying it's a thing that we as people do nowadays. And when that person finally deletes the apps, when the person finally says, I don't care about dating, I'm just going to read and try to meditate and try to learn these things. Again, that next chapter typically unfolds and life happens for them. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's so interesting when it comes to like dating. Cause I mean, talk about clinging and resisting, right? Like we go on these dates with this one person and we're like, oh, that's, that's my future husband. That's the one. And we like cling. It has to work. Like I have, and we try so hard to be lovable and be loved and be this perfect, the person that we think they want us to be. And like, we, there's no other, that's the one we get so attached and attachment is so unhealthy. It's like, how can we focus on connection and what our intention is when we're dating, right? Like, I want to show up and like have a flow of energy between us. And I want to show up and bring joy to the situation and get more connected to self and connection and intention versus attachment, clinging, neediness, which is all so low vibrational um, emotions. And it makes us 
it, it drives people to anxiety because it's so, have they texted me? And it's like, oh my gosh, like how can you just show up present? Send a text when it feels right to you. No game playing. Like send a text when it feels right to you and then allow it to unfold in its natural, beautiful timing. And I think we get mm. really, we get really obsessed with timelines and what, what our friends think it should be and what, you know, what we, our expectations are and right. gosh, hard, you know, I think relationships are, they are the ultimate teacher. Relationships are the ultimate spiritual teacher in all realms when it comes to dealing with attachment, anxiety, flow, being present because, um, they mirror so much to us. Yes, man, you brought us to a beautiful point. So what I'd like to do, which I, I don't mm -hmm. feel I've done yet for the audience listening is I'd like to pause and actually open up about where I'm at which mm -hmm. will tie into why I feel I needed to bring you on the show. So mm. prior to leaving California and coming to Arizona, I just really felt like a lost person. I felt that moving to Arizona and cleaning the slate was something that would help me. And even then, I still found myself running into the arms of someone who I knew just wasn't a good situation for me. Right. And so, and so this is not me bashing her or, or even needing to go into the details of that. It's just, I, I finally reached a point where it's like, wow, you're here. You have the opportunity to start over what you've been doing in your relationships, in life, with your decisions, resisting, the clinging, not taking care of yourself. It, it's, right. it's, not, it's not working and it's time to get back to the drawing board and figure it out. And so fast forward to now, um, I'm working with my old agreements and trying to undo those things. I'm trying to learn more about my ego, my inner child. I'm trying to lean into meditating, not just some, but more and mm. on a daily basis, multiple times a day. I'm trying to work on things like self-love, acceptance, you know, letting go mm. of resentment, uh, trying to improve communication that's broken with certain people in my life. And the reason why I'm saying all that, and I, I'm seeing some success, but, and I'm sure you say this to your friends and your patients, it's not an overnight fix. It's right. gonna be a long, painful process. And especially when you decide to finally turn inward and understand those old traumas and those old, or those facts that you, you feel are so true, mm -hmm. um, you realize, oh boy, you know? And right. I've, I've just admitted to myself in my most recent journal entry that if I can, climb this mountain, which I think will just reveal another mountain, right? Because I don't think it's a mountain and it's smooth sailing. I, I think this will be one of the most difficult things that I, I will take on in my life because it's not right. climbing a corporate ladder. It's not right. attaining the car, the house. It's not chasing down and finding the most perfect partner in my life. It's literally right. me versus me. Right. And so that brings me to how you talk about mindful this it was like a formula you put at the very end which I, I thought was beautiful how mindfulness essentially equals finding peace purpose fulfillment and then you added in our anxiety driven world yeah and, and i wanted to bring us there and spend time here for pretty much the remainder of the podcast is because i feel most of my audience listening and i i'm not i don't mean to not give them enough credit but i feel like that's not something that's popular that's something that's easy mm -hmm. to admit or say you're working on. And there's always the desire of saying, I should meditate and yoga is what I do. And, I'm the, and the, while that's great, I feel like there's this deep work that your life and your purpose is centered around that yeah. I personally am trying to work on. And I really want to know, you know, where you're at with it today and, and what, yeah. thoughts, what thoughts are brought to your mind after I share all of that with you. Right. Well, the first thought is like, it's so uncomfortable. It's, it's, I think that's why we don't do it um, because everything is like really sitting in the discomfort and being still and noticing like it's so much, uh, I, let me start here. It's so much easier like on a day where we're feeling really anxious to go pour a big glass of wine or um, just tune out from the world and go on Instagram or swipe on a dating app or like we busy ourselves because sometimes when we're still and we like really check in with ourselves and how do I feel and what, what's coming up for me? It is so uncomfortable because maybe we're angry. Maybe we're sad. Maybe we're lonely. Maybe we're jealous. Like it could be, it could 
be anything. Maybe we're so dissatisfied in our job and it feels overwhelming of getting out because we have bills and a family and it's just like, let me just keep it pushing. And so I think that that is why I believe so many people don't do it, um, do the inner work or, or are able even to just be still because it is, it can be really uncomfortable, but sitting on the cushion and being still and just noticing what emotions and thoughts are present for you and coming back, it is a transformational practice because we start to, we start to tune in to our most authentic self. We're not wearing masks. We're not numbing out. We're not. And so it's like, oh, this is who I am and this is where I'm at. And then we can get really curious about who's, who's the, who's the one noticing the thoughts and the emotions. And then when we can really separate from the thoughts and the emotions, we are so freaking powerful because now I choose which emotions and thoughts I want to hold on to and which ones I want to just release and let go. And I can choose how I want to show up and doing that type of inner work, soul work, meditating, whatever you call it, that is, that is the transformational practice that allows us to get to the core of everything you just said, peace, fulfillment, purpose. And when we can when we attune to ourselves that way, because we're so good at attuning to others that way, like, oh, let me go. My girlfriend had a bad day. Oh, I'm going to go buy you drinks. What do you need? Like, oh, you're, you, you know, some guy wants to take you out. You're going to go out on a date. You'll do anything for your kids, your parents. But it's like when it comes to like really just slowing down and acknowledging your experience, we are so wired to ignore it. We are conditioned to just push it aside, push it aside and productivity and busyness like perpetual busyness is like, I don't know, that is like our, our culture thrives in that and it's so toxic. And so I think when we can really tune in, then that's where we, that's where we dive into self-love and purpose and fulfillment. And we start attracting things that are aligned with that, the right partner, the right situation, the right apartment, the right, whatever it is. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's the work of a lifetime because yes. it never stops. We're constantly evolving. It's so interesting. It's like, as I evolve, I, I, I'm now more awake to notice more shadows, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, like now, like, you know, you, there's no arrival. It is like our, it's our life's work, which also is like so beautiful and exciting for me being mm. in the field, but also just me as a human like just me as a human, because all of us have such unique and beautiful experiences and we get one go at this life in this shell. And yeah, let's like, let's get to know the truth of our experience and show up in our power, not as some, I don't know, some like shadow or shell of ourselves. No, show up like in your full power. And in order to do that, we have to look at, we have to look at the dark spots and the shadows and we have yes. to acknowledge what's actually there. Yes. I love it. So I just like totally went on like a, a no, soapbox there. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. It, it it adds to this conversation. So I want to go back to a couple of things there. You talked about meditation, obviously. And one thing that I've noticed when it comes to, to meditation is, yes, the challenge of being alone mm. and, and silent with your thoughts. It's almost like this oxymoron I heard in a movie a long time ago. It's like a thunderous silence. You know, mm. it, it's it's one of the most overwhelming things if it's not something that you're used to or have done before. Mm. And just in my earlier meditation today, I, you made me realize like when I'm sitting there, aside from some of the thoughts that I'm trying to keep at bay, mm -hmm. I, I can literally count on just like two or three fingers. I can hear the fan. Mm -hmm. I can hear the guy blowing the leaves outside. Mm -hmm. And I can hear the Roomba in the other room. But I can still bring myself back to center and still focus on the task at hand, which is whatever I'm trying to meditate about or mm -hmm. the silence or the peace I'm trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to this because I'm curious about how you'd explain or sell, you know, or highlight the the power and the purpose behind meditation. I want to spend a little more time there. Right. I think that, you know, for me, um, meditating has so many forms, um, and so, so many different ways that you can tune into this like 
this pause, right, of slowing down and being still. And so I'm usually really intentional with how I present meditation, depending on which group I'm working on sure. and what individual I'm working on. So it's like I've noticed with a lot of male athletes um, and professionals, give me the science. Like they want to know, like, give me the facts, give me the research on it, right? Like I have to talk about that 95% of our Fortune 500 CEOs are doing this because it helps us with more clarity and wisdom and minimizing anxiety, all of that. With some of my more spiritual you clients- You can't lead in with emotions with them. <laughs> right, right. And you know, with some of my more spiritual clients that have already bought into it, but they're just like, so how do I do this? Then it's like, we can talk about grounding and setting an intention with your meditation and then you know, connecting to your breath. And for some people who are like, I'm bad at it. I suck at meditating. My mind goes everywhere. It's about educating that. That's what our mind does. That our mind, that's what it's going to do when we start meditating. The practice is just coming back home. And sometimes like maybe your mind, maybe you're th- you were thinking about school and work or whatever for five minutes before you even realized it. But as long as you come back home, to your breath, that that's the work of meditation. And so, and as we get really good at it, maybe you just go out for 10 seconds and then you're like, oh, back to my breath. But when you start, maybe the whole 10 minutes is like, up, I'm out here, I'm coming back. Up, I'm out here, I'm coming back. So it's just, I, it's, there's no one is a bad meditator. Our brain does what it does. It's just about coming back home. And home can be to a mantra, home can be to your breath, home can be to, noticing a sensation on your body, whatever, whatever, however you're practicing, but it's just about coming back. And as long as you're working on that, you're killing it at meditation. I love it. And you talked about anxiety paired with meditation. And I want to visit this because I feel when, for people who haven't tried or are trying to experiment with meditation, I think one of the important things, as you said, is to understand what you're feeling. And I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like you, you've approached this or you've experienced this before, so I'm hoping you can elaborate. A lot of times I think people will say, I'm so frustrated with my boss. I feel like a failure at school or at work. And they're talking mm-hmm. about the actual facts that they believe and less mm-hmm. about their actual feelings. Mm-hmm. So can you, mm-hmm. and people will say, well, what do you mean feelings? And it's like, well, right. the fact that you feel frustrated, is that making you feel sad? Mm-hmm. You know, Is that making you feel angry? Mm-hmm. Um, or the fact that you feel like you're a failure, what is that bringing forth? Is that bringing mm-hmm. forth shame, disappointment? Mm-hmm. So can you help people understand that beneath the, the surface of the facts or the general statements about how they think they feel, there's actually the feeling itself. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can share right. some light on that. Right. Well, because we, we attach stories to our yes. thoughts and to our emotions. And so I think this is literally, I think this is why therapy is so powerful because you have another individual that is literally sitting in front of you and just getting really curious about your experience. But we have the skills to do that ourselves. So if I am frustrated with my boss, I need to get really curious about what is frustrating me. Um, Is it that he never responds? Is it that he talks down to me? Is it that I feel not seen and heard? And then when I, I... you know, I'm like, you know, I think what really frustrates me is that he hasn't complimented me on my work and like, oh, okay, Katie. So you don't feel valued. Okay. Let's get curious about that. Like, do you value yourself? Once, does this remind you of another time you didn't feel valued? Who in your life does see you and value you? It's like, you just lay, pull back the layers of onion, pull back the layers until you get to the root emotion or limiting belief or narrative, like you'll get, you'll arrive somewhere where you'll realize it's not about your boss. It's never about these experiences and these con- this, these triggers that we have. It's about getting curious and coming to the root. Like you said, Alvin, is it shame? Is it, gosh, like we don't feel valued in any aspect of our life. And maybe we need to start cultivating more meaningful relationships, or maybe like you don't love yourself. Like mm. you don't value you. And you don't see you. And so you're craving it from your boss, or your boy. So it's like, I think if we're curious about our experiences, then we can arrive to this really beautiful place that allows us to transcend and to grow. But I think most of us are like living on the surface. So it's just like, I'm frustrated at my boss. He's, you know, he's the worst. What a jerk. And we just like exist there. And then we like talk bad about him to our spouse or to our coworkers. And it's just like, it's, it's not doing 
the inner work to really arrive in a place that we can grow and evolve. Um, so I love, I love what you just said, but it, I think the magic, the secret sauce is getting curious. Secret sauce. That's, that's the biggest takeaway for me there. And so you, you, you mentioned self-love and so, mm. I, and I'm glad you did because I almost forgot for a second that I wanted to talk about that. I, and, and I want to spend more time with the people who are stuck at the surface because mm. those are the people who I'm hoping because I feel like I was just there, right? So, so right. that's that's the one thing I identify with, and is, this is my invitation, you know, to to hopefully help others who who might need something like this. So, with self love, I feel like people will say, "Yeah, but I I take days off. I just took a vacation. I got a massage the other week." And I feel like the other side of that too is, yeah, but isn't that selfish? Isn't that a little woo-woo? Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? What do you mean love myself? I love everyone mm -hmm. around me. Everyone everyone around me loves me. Um, but what are your thoughts along yeah, those kind so, of stories and narratives? So I think one is that we get self-care and self-loved confused. And I think that self-care, especially with some of the older generations, it is, they think it's weak, like self, like self-care, like just show up, suck it up. Just, you know, like just work hard. And I think the hardest workers in the world need even more self-care. And I, I talk about this a lot with like, you know, if you, if you were running a half marathon, you would have to um, engage in recovery and self-care so that you could keep training. And then on the, on the big race day, run 13.1 miles, right? So Alvin, you kill it. You do great at the half marathon. Now you're like, I'm going to run a full marathon. So you're training more. You have to also enhance your self-care strategy with that. So it's like, as we get the promotion, as we go from college football to the NFL, as we go from running a half marathon to full marathon, as I go from a director role to a VP, I can't just think about, I have to be smarter, sharper, work harder, beyond. I also have to like create more space for me to take care of myself so I can show up. And so self-care, um, I think, I think some people push back on it and they think it's just like getting your nails done or like, I don't know, just these like, I don't know, these pampering experiences when no, yes. sometimes self-care, sometimes self-care is setting boundaries. Sometimes self-care is reading a personal development book. Sometimes self-care is going to therapy. Like these are things that, um, I, I don't know. I think self-care gets a bad rap sometimes. And yep. then when it comes to self-love, which mm. is so different, that is, again, the work of a lifetime because we're not doing our job if we are not changing and evolving all the time. So if I'm still the Katie I was two years ago, I'm doing myself in this world a disservice, right? Because my job on earth is to continue to evolve. And that means I also have to continue to love myself, even in those chapters that are uncomfortable, even in those meditation sessions where I'm like, I'm lonely or I'm angry or I'm gosh, I'm kind of dwelling in my past a bit, right? Like any, anything that comes up, how do I still love myself and not need external validation? Because I think we, we get soothed sometimes by maybe how many likes we get on a picture on social media, or maybe someone telling us that we look good, or maybe a promotion or a big paycheck. And we're like, okay, I'm validated. I'm seen. I'm good. I'm cool. Like it feels good. But what if, what if that's not there? Or what if actually people are like saying things that are triggering us or aren't supporting us. That reminds us that we have to come back to this place of just loving ourselves. Because when we really arrive at self-love, we don't need external validation. It can still feel good. Yeah, sure. Like, it's nice you gave me a compliment or it's nice you told me I'm smart, but I don't need that because I am so connected to who I am. I sit in my discomfort, I sit in my power, I sit in my light, I sit in my darkness, and I don't need anything from anyone, but it feels good and it's nice, but I love myself so much that it's not something I'm seeking or clinging to or craving, yep. which is, again, self-love is the work of a lifetime. I love it. Okay, I want to say a few things out loud so mentally I don't forget. I want to talk about boundaries, masks, social media, but I want to bring it back first to social media and masks because uh, you touched upon something that I really think, I, I think it's important to some folks and a lot of people are aware of it, but the idea of the highlight reel, yeah. the, the dopamine effect of, yeah. social, of social media, the pitfalls of comparison, 
Right. And I also want to tie that into the idea of the mask because the highlight reel, I feel like, is one of the masks that you put put forward in mm. the social media world. So first, I want to start with masks. You talked about it, but I want to know like what, what is your definition or what's your approach to discussing masks with people? Right. Well, we all we all have them and we all wear them. And I think sometimes like I could look at you and think that like, oh, my gosh, he has it so together. He like probably never has a bad day. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm struggling so much. Right. Because we we don't everyone's wearing masks and we don't know their inner experience. We're so connected to like how we feel. So we assume that everyone's mask is their reality, which is just false. Right. So if we can remember that we're all doing this human thing and there's a lot of suffering and pain associated with it. I think it allows us to realize, it allows us to like connect and lean out of comparison a little bit and look at people with like a more real lens. But I think that um, we, we, need, we need masks a bit. So um, I talk a lot with my clients about the middle path and mm. um, we, you know, as a, on the spiritual path, I would like to believe that I could just show up in my authenticity um, and in my truth and at all times, right? But doing this human experience and having an ego, um, I kind of have to wear clothes when I go to work, right? And I kind of, depending on who I'm with, they might not appreciate if I'm using the F word every other word, right? Like, so there's some and does that mean I'm not being authentic? No, but it's like, yeah, there's, there are some, there's some things that we do in this world that are part of, they're ego-driven and they're part of this experience. So it's about really finding the middle path of like, how can I show up as authentic and true and genuine and aligned as possible, but still be able to have my job, pay the bills? Like it's, it's about really discerning and really like, connecting to like where, where you need to put on a mask, but not at the, not at the expense of dimming your light or being fake or any of that. Right. So sometimes, sometimes with my clients, like we have to totally take the mask off because they have been so inauthentic to themselves to show up for their partner or their family or whatever. Right. But there's other times where it's like, okay, like maybe in that setting, they don't need to, you, you don't need to be your most authentic, vulnerable, true self. Like maybe, maybe you show up and you're kind and you're compassionate and you're not fake and you don't lie, but it's, they don't get the full thing. So it, I think it's, it's about discernment, you know, mm. and just really, really being like able again, present and conscious enough to know when and where you wear it, how thick of a mask it is, mm. like all of that, being able to discern. Because I do believe that we have our ego for a reason. Um, and we need, we need it, uh, to exist in the way that our world and our culture is set up. Um, but it's about finding that middle path. I love that. That's a new term to me. Middle path, the, the middle path. I love mm -hmm. it. Okay. So we're reaching the top of the hour. So I want to wrap it up with a couple more things. And, okay. uh, I appreciate your time. This has been an yes. amazing, amazing conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for you. Mm. You talk about masks, which made me think about entering different scenarios mm -hmm. and like the mask you wear when you show up with family right? versus the mask you wear when you're with friends. And right. then that led me to think about boundaries in, in that mm. same way. And I, I feel like that's something I'm still learning about right now. And I, I learned quickly it was something that did not exist in my life. Mm. And it's something I'm still definitely trying to grasp. So I just wanted to spend a moment there and talk about what, you know, how, how you define and explain boundaries. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are a beautiful way of honoring yourself. And I think we, when we don't have boundaries, we are putting other people, other situations, other scenarios, we're valuing that more than our own experience. And in relationships, you know, it's an interesting thing with boundaries because in relationships, you know, we do, there is a give and take and sometimes sacrifices have to be made in love and all of that. But I think um, in order to set effective boundaries, we have to be so mindful and conscious of what our experience is. Because if I continue 
if I'm spending a lot of time with my friend Jessica and every time I'm always, you know, I start to get so irritated with her because she's always like planning another event or like, I just feel like she's taking up so much of my time. It's like, okay, Katie, you need to have a boundary around how much time you're spending with Jessica. And sometimes boundaries don't even need to be voiced. It's an internal contract. And then other times they do need to be voiced. So I think it's like, right. And so sometimes it's like, okay, I'm only going to hang out with Jessica once a week. That's what feels healthy and right for me. Right. And then maybe down the road and she doesn't even need to know. I just start spending a little less time with her. But maybe down the road, if she's pushing, it's like, hey, Jess, I noticed that like for me to like show up at work and hang out with other people, like sometimes they get so consumed in our relationship. So I really just want us to spend time once a week. I hope you'll honor that because that's what feels right for me. And, you know, and it's just like boundaries are so beautiful. And um, gosh, it's just a really healthy way of honoring yourself and your commitments in relationships and the right people in your life will always value your boundaries. I love it. And the wrong people, the wrong people are the Mm. ones who get mad because they were, you know, they feel like you're taking something from them. Right. And sometimes, and I've had to set boundaries with family members. Sometimes they do have a reaction at first, but then they understand that it's like, that is how I'm going to show up as the best Katie is with these boundaries. And it gives them permission to do the same. Because sometimes like when we we're not setting them and maybe other people in our lives haven't done inner work or aren't familiar, it's like, okay, none of us set boundaries. But then when someone does the thing, the hard thing and like sets it, now it's like, oh, that's so healthy. Like, okay, I'm going to try that. So it's also this beautiful contagious thing where people can step into their power a bit. Wow. I love it. So I want to end it pretty much there, <laughs> but I, I do have a question I'd like to ask right. you before we wrap it up. And so yeah. being the person you are, who I feel like you're so well-equipped, you know, you're so armed with the right tools. You've had the experiences and the life lessons starting at a very young age, as early as high school with the support of family at home, all that. With everything happening in the world and the saying, every dog has it today, what does Katie do for herself for herself when you feel the world is coming crashing down? When you feel like everyone's testing your patience, mm. when you feel like you've lost control for a little bit of the things that you do? Or is it like, a, actually, Alvin, I, I do everything I can to prevent those things. I'm trying to understand mm. when you are at one of the most challenging moments, hours, days of, of your life, what does Katie do for herself or what are the things she tries to do? Right. Yeah. When I one thing that my own coach has taught me is um, as we evolve and we grow and we get better, she calls it the bounce back rate. It's like, you know, if I, if I didn't meditate in the morning and I didn't, you know, I had a bad day at work and I'm like, you know, whatever, like there might've been a time in my life where like I had a, a bad week and then I have a breakdown. Right. But as you evolve, when you notice you're off track, you bounce back quicker. So I think like, um, I definitely get off track. I just think my bounce back rate has gotten faster with age and I hope it continues to get faster. But with that being said, um, when I am at that point where I feel like I'm breaking or I'm getting off track and I'm, I'm, I get on the, I force myself to get on the cushion because for me, it's really easy to meditate for me when things are good. It's like connecting to my breath. I know when I get off, I'm going to feel even better and I'm going to be feel wiser and have more clarity and all of that. But sometimes when I'm like so uncomfortable, I want, I'll go want to do other things and they're not all unhealthy. Like sometimes I like to go run or lift weights or, but I, I really try and force myself to sit on the cushion, um, to really feel the discomfort and the emotion and to be able to get curious and discern where it's coming from and to honor it. Um, and then I will journal afterwards. And um, I think that's been a huge part of my healing process, you know, through being in a pandemic with the quarantine, um, through painful relationships, loneliness, any insecurities that I've had or failures that I think I've experienced. It's like when I, when I start to go there, I try and sit in it um, because wow. I, think, I think that's how I grow. 
I just love that you brought it back to meditation. And I think that's mm. where we should. I think that's where we should end the show. But before we do uh, that, uh, again, I want to thank you, Katie. This has been so, thank you. so valuable for me. And I, I hope it'll mm. be uh, in return valuable to the audience that's listening. So before we wrap, could you tell us how folks can find you, get in touch with you if that's something they want to do, you know, your yeah. social media handles, any of that? Yeah. Um, so I am pretty responsive through my submission site on my website, katiecheadle.com, but I am always on Instagram at Katie Cheadle, except for this weekend, I took a nice social media break to really be present out in the desert, but social Instagram's my jam. I don't do anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to engaging with your audience and thank you so much for having me. It was of a really course. fun conversation and a meaningful conversation. I Thanks, appreciate Katie. it. Thanks, Katie. Yeah. I appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. You take care, okay? En okay enjoy you your too. time in Sedona. Yes. Bye, Alvin. All right, bye. And that does it for episode 10. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. If you'd like to learn more about Katie or if you're interested in working with her, head to the show notes where you can find links to her social media and website. We'll see you in the next one, Fresh Fam. Peace. <laughs>